Your next 10 million is a community dedicated to folks who have achieved wealth and are looking to achieve greatness. Our interviews and discussions focus on growing your family's wealth and cash flow with investors across asset classes, but with a particular focus on housing and real estate. But there's more to growing your wealth than just capital allocation. So we try to bring you a variety of conversations and experts. Please subscribe to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. Welcome to your next 10 million. We have a good show ahead of us today. Um, hopefully it's good, but it's uh, <laughs> it's about me and <laughs> yeah. Pasha. A little bit, bit, a bit of background that anyone can reference um, in later episodes when they dig into the podcast, kind of wondering a little bit who we are um, so we don't spend too much time talking about ourselves. Pasha, how are you doing? I'm good, man. This is our second episode today. Yeah. I think we, we're, we're doing two it. episodes back to back in yeah. one day, although they come out a couple weeks uh, or one week, one and then the other. My first question to Cody was, you didn't change your shirt, right? Because that would be weird if I didn't change my shirt. He goes, you didn't change your shirt, right? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anybody's wondering, we do change our shirts. Um, Sometimes. From day to day, but it's the same day. So yeah. uh, we're not, uh, <laughs> we are either, yeah, we, we, we're not trying to save uh, the planet, um, nor are we, uh, nor are we gross. Yeah, that's so. correct. So today's, today's episode is going to be fun, right? We're going to dig in a little bit into about who you are, who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that, you know, every investor invests for a couple of different reasons and we all invest in very different ways. And a lot of that has to do with where we come from, you know, how we think about risk, you know, and, 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 and really what our goals are and, uh, you know, our values. And so I think the more you can understand that about an investor, the better you can understand, uh, you know, their investment thesis and, you know, really how they think about uh, how they think about making money. For example, Pasha has a really cool story and he has a particular insight in how he thinks about risk and probabilities. Um, something that I've learned from him and that I'm starting to apply to my life uh, when I start to do the math in my head about the probable outcomes or the possible outcomes in a situation. Um, uh, so yeah, so... Uh, Pasha, I think your, your story is way more interesting. So I think in order to keep everyone engaged to the end, let's start with you, um, and digging into you and who you are. Um, yeah. And so I guess first off, who are you? Uh, what does your family look like, um, today? And, uh, you know, what is your family? Where did you kind of come from? Yeah. Okay. Uh, great question. Um, I'm glad you yeah, thought it. <laughs> Pasha wrote these questions. <laughs> um, yeah, really great question. I love the way your yeah. brain works. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I said on podcast one, I mean, we're we're an immigrant family. My father moved here from Iran. Well, I'm very close to my father, uh, my brother, uh, also just in proximity as well. Um, you know, I, I've been married for eight years now, together with my wife for 10 years. And one thing that in you'll hear me talk a lot about is really the next step for me is I really, really want to be a father. And so it's been a journey for us. Um, I think we have to take like everything in my life, uh, take a different little detour to get to the same result. Um, my wife cannot have children. She had a like radical hysterectomy. I want to say about eight years ago, seven years ago. And uh, so we just found a surrogate. We froze our embryos about seven years ago, six years ago. And, um, 
we just found a surrogate who will who's an angel, just an angel upon angels, and uh, she's willing to do a double embryo transfer. So we're gonna do. What does that mean? Um, so that means we want we're gonna have twins, right? Because most You're gonna surrogates twins. We're gonna have twins. Yeah. You're which, fucking out of your mind. I know. But I, it's I really awesome. Am. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. It, and I, I'm I'm just saying you're out of your mind because like one is hard. Of course, no, I Two, know it's going to be hard. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's, it's all it's it's all going to be hard. So you might as well you might as well go as hard as yeah. you can. You know what it is. You know what it is. The reason why I push for it so much because Jessica wanted to have children kind of separately, like one year or two years apart. That sure. was because my brother was five years older than me, and it was just us, me and my brother. And being at that age, coming to a new country. We really didn't bond as children, right? Because he, I mean, when you're hmm. when you're 12 years old, you don't want to be hanging out with like a seven year old, right? Or sure, when you're yeah. 18, you don't want to be hanging out with a 13 year old. So we really kind of, so we didn't have that special connection and bond. We're brothers. We obviously have a bond. But I was like, if we can create special while we're here, let's just create special. And that's what I really push for. So now they have like, you know, the best friend growing. Hopefully, they'll be best friends growing up. So. Yeah. Twins seem to, you know what I've noticed? And this is, uh, you know, a totally unprofessional opinion based on zero data whatsoever. <laughs> completely <laughs> Great. anecdotal. Give it to me. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is worth, it, you know, this is worth as much as a tabloid paper. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have, I, I think I've noticed that siblings that are further apart have kind of like a have a close relationship but it's like more of a protective relationship siblings mm. that are really close seem to have like a lot of competition and twins usually seem to be always really tight yeah that actually is really that's a good observation i would say me and my brother he still has the protectionist in him um but we are incredibly competitive marley probably me more so competitive with him yeah right because he's my older brother yeah, yeah he's like he's like, he's like what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly Um, and so that's really what my family looks like right now. We're a pretty small family. My mother lives back in Iran. She's actually, uh, going through the Iranian protest right now. She's protesting. She is. Yeah. Which is pretty intense. Um, but I'm incredibly proud of her. And I, you know, a lot of people say, well, aren't you scared for her? Well, of course, a hundred percent I'm scared for her. But what I do know is that if she doesn't protest and other people don't protest right now, like people like my mother, there will never be change and people will always die because it's like North Korea yeah. and Russia combined and you have Iran uh, for the people who are in power. So most people don't know, but Iran, what in the, you know, not that long ago before the, uh, before the revolution mm-hmm. uh, was like incredibly liberal and yeah. uh, women went to university. Oh and yeah. It was like a modern, Tehran was a mo- super modern city. Uh, it was incredibly modern. Yeah. We we had we had a ton of wealth. We had, uh, the the population was thriving and growing, and business were getting created. Um, and then there was a revolution. So yeah, yeah. Not all revolutions are good. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Awesome. And so you're uh, so you your but your entire family came here. Your mom, your dad, and your brother, and you, or did no. you and your dad and your brother? My dad and my brother. My okay. my mother stayed back in Iran. Okay, so she's never come here. Cool. No, I mean she visits now. She'll be like here for like three, four months at a time. But she she decided that she wanted to have a life in Iran. Okay. I'm sure we, we can get into that at some other point. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, and so so your wife, your brother, and your dad, you guys are all in LA. 
Yeah, um, we're obviously close your to each wife's. Other. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Man. And uh, did you, uh, you know, growing up, did you always want to be a mobile home park owner? <laughs> or- <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not. No, I, I didn't know what I was going to. As a kid growing up, the the divorce of my my parents just admittedly was really really hard on me very 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 hard on me i was i was a mama's boy right so sure um but you know there's something that was so internal and deeply that i knew i'd be successful and i knew that i had an entrepreneurial spirit but it really wasn't until about you know 26 years old that i started to tap into it and start taking risks in my life um i was always good at making money but I really didn't plan for the future or wanted to build something. Yeah. I mean, I started applying myself when I was about 25, 26. Um, but I always, as a child, I knew, I mean, I accelerated in, in like school, except for the English, English grammar still escapes me all the time, but everything else I, uh, sell that. And, um, I picked up things pretty easily. Yeah. Did you, um, did, have you always had an easy time, because uh, I think investing and making money are like way different things. Um, I could be wrong, right? But but I, no, for is. me, I think I was really good at making money. Um, but it took like it took a big mental shift to like to to learn how to invest. Versus my, uh, you know, my sister, for example, she is a, uh, you know, she's just she's just a natural, you know, she started out as a very natural investor. She was always thinking five years, 10 years down the road. Um, were you always kind of a natural investor or did you, you figured out how to make money first and later had to learn how to become an investor? Um, that's a good question. I think it was a natural progression of things. I first learned how to make money. Right. But I really educated myself on how to be an investor. Right, kind of like the school of hard knocks a little bit, just sure. kind of trying things to see if they worked, if they didn't work. Um, being in the poker world as long as I had been previously, you think you have you you have to be trained to think long term. You have to think that every move you make is a long term bet. Is this is better if I do this consistently over the long run instead of short term results? So I think poker really helped that mentality but i really also had to learn and devour every financial piece of information i can get any book that i could read learn how the system really worked in the backdrop um, of our economy and then just learn how to play the the game as it's designed yeah the ten thousand hour uh you know uh, philosophy right i obsessed Uh, about it i I became obsessed truly did you uh what was your uh like, what was your first, uh, do you remember your first job? Or how did you first make money? What was your first money-making scheme? I, I'm going to call was, it a scheme because like yeah, as scheme. a kid, right? It's well, all it kind of was a scheme. It kind okay. of was a scheme. I, I mean, my first thing I, I, I did, the first thing ever as a kid that I did, me and my neighbor, that we there's a seeds from this certain type of tree. And I can't forget, I, I mean, I, I don't remember the name of the tree, but we get these seeds and we went door to door trying to sell these seeds that fell off of the tree to try to sell. Are they to, valuable uh, seeds? Are they like no. trees that people want? No, it's like a weed. No, it's like, it's like no, we found them. I mean, it's a big tree. It's really nice. Like we had a few of them in, in our uh, neighborhood, but we went around and most people were like, okay, here you go. Here's like a dollar. Here you have some seeds and whatever. That was the first entrepreneurial thing that uh, we did. The second thing that I ever did was um, 
there was this, you could sign up and this is probably not a good way to go about it. I was 16. So my father at 14 years old said, you could legally work in California. If you want anything other than the food that we provide, you have to buy it on your own from now on. So at what age? At 14. At 14. At 14. So he's like, go get a job essentially. So my, my next thing was I was selling candy door to door. I would, it was so kind of shady. You go into this van and there's 15 other kids with these like buckets and you have, these, Oh yeah. A van, a van of, filled with candy and a bunch of kids. That bro, way. it's not it's like, I'm telling you, it was so like, <laughs> that guy, that guy lives backwards. on the edge. It's so bad. <laughs> and then I remember one time, so I was doing this for a few weeks. I was doing okay. Um, and then he dropped me off on like a kind of like pretty bad part of the neighborhood. And back then you didn't have cell phones. He's like, I'll be back in two hours. And I remember being so scared of like, this guy left me. He's not coming back. I was there for about three hours. It was cold. I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And so then, and then I, I really stopped until I was essentially out of high school. Uh, I stopped working. You, so, and, and what did you do for anything besides food? Uh, I, I just had to eat whatever they gave me, basically. I mean, I would pick up, I, I would no pick up odd jobs here and there. Yeah. I would try to find a neighbor for me to low, mow the lawn and whatever. I was always able to buy myself like a backpack or a new pair of shoes, but it sure. wasn't like that much. Consistent. I'm, yeah. Dad, can I yeah. wash your car? Can I help this, that? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Did you, uh, did you go to school or what did you do after, uh, after high school? No, I went to one semester of college, realized this was not for me, and I dropped out. And with with no game plan, no game plan. You no just like plan. dropped out. You went back to your dad's. Yeah. So like you have to understand, I've, I think back then also when you're younger, you're just a lot more stubborn. Yeah. And uh, you just think oh, I'll I'll be fine. But I had no game plan. But I just knew that I could not do college for four years. I just knew it like internally that this wasn't for me. I'm not good with sitting in a classroom. I have ADD, and it's just so slow. I like. For me, it wasn't the work. It was tediously staying in there on, and I hate, I don't want to sound like cocky or full of myself in a way. I just hated how slow people learned. Like, yeah. <laughs> it I drove hate me that nuts. other people are stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that, but you know, it was just slow for me. I couldn't Especially take it. Especially the listeners of this podcast. <laughs> That's, I sound so bad, right? But it's insulting us. No, yeah. uh, no, no, no. I, it was yeah, it was true. Absolutely. I mean, there were some things that I would have to apply myself on, and of course, I'm just generalizing it. But school for me was very, very slow, and that was really hard for me. So I just knew I couldn't do this. I had to drop out, and I just I bet on myself, and I said I'll figure it out. You know, like I'll figure it out, and, and that's kind of what happened. I just trial and error. So what was the trial like, and what was the error? Yeah. So what did you do? I mean, you 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 know, you're 18, what, 18, yeah. 19, and like, okay, now I gotta go make a life for myself. Yeah. So what so, what uh what was the plan? So uh I was a manager at like an internet gaming center, like a land center for dorks basically, uh where we played video games the whole time. Were you, so were you, because you were a customer often well, or that was yeah, I was like a, a customer. Okay, no, I was a customer. <laughs> um I did that for a little bit and then I went and transitioned to being a waiter. My brother had won a tournament in 2004. He won like 1.4 million in a tournament. I graduated in 2002. In what type? In what type of tournament? A poker tournament. Okay. Right. This is right when poker started becoming big and popular. And, and so, had you ever played before? Um, I, of course, like 
yes, I played poker here and there, um, but never at like, that seriously. point you played. Yeah, yeah, I played, you played it, it with your brother a bit. I or? played with my brother. I played with my friends. I've always enjoyed the game of uh, like betting and gambling and trying to figure out other people's patterns and whatnot. So, so once he won and won one point four million, I just said, "Oh, well, if like obviously, if my brother could do it, like I could do it, right?" Yeah, it's a big chunk of change. Yeah, it's a big chunk of change, especially for a kid. And I started to go and I started to play little tournaments with my friends. And I I just, I picked up the game pretty quickly. I learned that to win the game, you had to be aggressive. And sometimes, obviously, that aggression got me in trouble. But I just learned that I was always winning and beating my friends. Or I was always in like the top three in the tournaments or in the cash games. I would just always end up winning. And I said, hey, there's something like, there's something here. And so then I started picking my, my brother's brain about it and getting his advice and reading books. And I started to uh, play more and more cash games. Um, and I just kept getting good and better and better. And then I ended up moving to Houston, Texas, because the games were so good. So what's that? So yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of things that I ask you because I, I don't know this world very well. So okay. a cash game, what's a cash game versus a tournament? <clears throat> a, a tournament is there's a, a finite buy-in. Right. And so like when you buy in for a hundred dollars, that's it. You get a certain amount of chips and that's your finite amount of chips. And one person wins it all. Okay. In a cash game, if you lose that hundred dollars, you can re-up with your hundred dollars in this, you know, arbitrary scenario that we're 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 demonstrating here. Or your Rolex or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Right. You could just keep putting money onto the table to keep playing. And the only time you quit is when you run out of money or you leave. And that's what a cash game is. It's it's a continuous cash game. Right, it's a continuous game that keeps going, and new players come in and whatnot. I've always enjoyed cash games because tournaments for me, again, were a little too slow and tedious uh, for the it's way more my strategic operated. chip conservation. Yeah. Um, okay, but I mean, uh, I wouldn't say more strategic. It's just a different strategy. Okay. What um and so what what about Houston? Because like. Nothing, nothing says like a good time like Houston. I would not have thought Houston was the place to go because the games are so good. What makes a good game and why is Houston the home to good games? I'll tell you why I moved to Houston in the first place. So, a girl. A girl. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell the, you know, it's kind of funny actually. I'll, I'll tell the, the audience, sure. Uh, I, I was, a, I hit puberty very late in my life. So, I hit puberty when I was about 18 years old like so you know in high school i didn't really have girlfriends i didn't really go out to parties i don't i was kind of antisocial i was a kind of a dweeb and played computer games and you know fixed computers and all that but once i hit puberty i was like oh okay like you know i want to get girls and so and now your assistant fix your microphone <laughs> yeah he's exactly. used to be good at computers now you can't yeah. fix your microphone. Now I feel useless in my life. Now it's always <laughs> like, hey, Robbie, can you come fix this? Hey, Robbie, can you do this for me? Robbie's um, the man. Robbie is the man. And so uh, so I met a girl. She used to be an ex-Playboy model. And she's like lived in Houston. I went to Houston to go visit her because I met her in Aruba at a poker tournament. And she just come down to Houston, come play some of the games. And it was incredible. The games were, Cody, like back then in like 2005, six, seven everyone was so bad at poker. It was like <laughs> printing money. You don't have to be even that good. You just sat there and played better cards and they just gave you loads of money. It was incredible. And so I was, I went from, you know, essentially making, uh, 
you know, being a waiter making whatever, like $80 a night to walking away on average every night that I played over $1,500, you know, every night that I played on average, I'm sometimes 5k, sometimes whatever for a kid who's 22 to 25 years old. That's great money. I, I remember what I used to live on like in college and it was like 500 bucks a week. And I, and I thought yeah. I was like rolling in it. I was like, yeah, I am in a really great place. Mm-hmm. Right? And now I, now I have no idea how I'd eat food uh, for that. You <laughs> it's know? so like, true. It's, yeah, yeah. it's so true. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. you're just crushing it. You were driving your Beamer and whatever else. Yeah. My, I think I had a Beamer. No, I had an Acura TL black oh. on black. Oh, black on black. Black on black. I thought I, out. I thought I was the shit, you know? Yeah. I was young, traveling the world, uh, and just traveling poker. the world to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a shithole. Sorry, yeah. my Houston listeners. It's kind of a shithole. I've never been. Yeah, it's kind of a shithole. Okay. So you're making fifteen hundred bucks a night. Um, and you're playing every night? I mean, uh probably like three, four nights were you going to a casino or this was like house games all house games all private games the thing that i want to like call myself out on is even though i was making really good money i was spending it as fast as i could like as soon as i made money i was young so i would go and party um or blow it up like i would get a table for my friends and i thought that was a life or i'd go play poker and i'd lose it right like my i was the crazy thing was i was really disciplined cody playing poker and then because I think I just hit puberty and I just started to learn about there's this whole other world about being not sheltered and not being an introvert, that I would go and I would, you know, buy the tables and buy the bottles and I would just spend the money as yeah. fast as I could. You were a late bloomer. So you're I was like, a late bloomer. Like, so I was trying to go. catch up. I was trying yeah, to catch yeah. up. Fair yeah. Enough. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so you're so you're in Houston. You're playing these games. What was like your level up? Because, you know, you're making, you know, how, how often were you playing? You're playing four or five times a week. So you're making, you know, 20 grand a month. I mean, that's, you know, or more, I guess that's 30 grand a month. You know, you're making, you're making great money. You're making great money for anyone. Um, and uh, I guess what was your, what was your next level, right? Yeah, this is actually an interesting question. It's not a level up. It was actually a level down, right? Oh. So I I really quickly realized when I was 25 years old, I was living in Houston still with my ex-girlfriend. And this is what, uh, 10 years ago, 13 years ago? Yeah, no, probably ish, whatever, ish, right? And um, yeah, 13 years ago. And so I'm living with my ex-girlfriend. I'm making good money, but I'm I'm broke, right? I just, I don't have much to my name. Like I have a bankroll, but I don't have much to my name. And in my mind, I was broke. Comparatively speaking. So, and a bankroll. Bankroll is basically your your ability to buy into games. That's correct. Right? Your, yeah. your cash. And where you, uh, and I didn't know this, but you can actually, you can invest in other people's bankrolls, right? I, yeah. I don't know what you call it. You, but, you, but you can buy pieces your own, of other people. You can this buy was pieces my own. of other people. Yeah. This was this was my own bankroll okay. that I had. And it, it wasn't like much. It was probably, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't that much. I felt broke at the time. And I broke down crying. And when I was 25 years old, I said, this sucks. This lifestyle sucks. I don't like this. And I don't feel like I've taken my life seriously. Hmm. And so I very quickly realized I want to get out of Houston. I want to go move to Vegas. And let me go. I want to be closer to my father and my brother who are living in Vegas. And I want to go take this poker thing a little bit more seriously. 
put in a little bit more hours studying and really kind of give this a bigger shot. Because if this isn't scalable, I don't want to live like this forever. Like I don't yeah. want to just keep having 50, you know, 15K or 20K to my name and then lose some of it. And like, I don't like this. I want to be a millionaire. And so I went to Vegas. I said, let me go take this seriously. Let me go try to get into bigger games and really make this a thing. Very quickly to realize, wow, this lifestyle is not for me. I do not want to be in poker for the rest of my life. I want to wake up early. I want to have a family. And this isn't conducive to who I am. And I had to trick myself to hating people at the poker table. And that was never fun. I don't like that energy. I love people. I, you know, yeah. I mean, like I, I like genuinely like fall in love with people, right? Because I, and, but so that wasn't for me. So I knew that this wasn't scalable and I wanted to just get out of poker. And that's when I started, I got my real estate license in Vegas, um, only so that I could go and buy my first home um, through the, like, and, and understand how it operated and get the education around it. I ended up being a broker for about a little under the, a year, made a bunch of money from that. And then I went and bought my first home uh, to flip from an auction site unseen. And oh, then wow. it was like, and then it was from there on, it was like lights out. I knew real estate was my game. And I, I made $3,000 on my first home that I flipped, which was a mobile home actually in the park. And I said, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I actually took a step backwards from poker and took a big pay cut because I knew that I would absolutely way, make way more money in real estate if I built a business around it. And for what, two years, I take a step back and make less money. Who cares in the grand scheme of things? What, um, out of curiosity, so... So you became a broker and you were doing that for like a year. When was your first investment deal? Um, it was probably one year after I got my broker's license. Okay. It was in 2011. Was a it was a mobile home. Yeah, it was a mobile home okay. in a mobile home park. You you bought it just on the cheap and sold yeah. it or uh, or did you fix it up? I bought it for $50,000, fixed it up. And I remember, I think I sold it for about 68000 and I ended up making about $3,000 off of it. Total and net. This was, okay. <laughs> this is all in Vegas. Yeah, this is all in Vegas. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And what was next? Like, uh, you were like, I'm the mobile home flipper <laughs> god. I am going to do no. this uh, forever. No, that that one thing gave me... That one home gave me the confidence to keep going after these. And so I would bid on... You know, typically I was bidding about 25 homes per day. Back then, foreclosures were so plentiful, right? And this and is so, all your own money. And w yeah. so this would have been what, 2000, it's been like 2012? It's about 2011, 2012 okay. range. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, I mean, it's Vegas, ton of foreclosures, auctions. So I'm bidding about 25 homes per day and just kind of trying to get my hands on everything. And yes, it's my own money, right? Um, and so to survive, uh, I would go play poker if I had to, to make a little bit of money. If I need a little bit more for repairs, I need another deal. So everything I was doing, I just recycled back into the business. And it just yeah. kept scaling. And I was lucky that Jessica was making good money as well, too. And she, you know, she paid for all the bills and house and stuff like that. And I could take every dollar you that I made. Jessica, you met Jessica in Vegas? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Jessica, who Jessica is your, uh, I don't know if you mentioned her name yet on the podcast. Oh, yeah, she's my wife. That's your current wife. Yeah. yeah. My, my ex-sugar mama. Your well, ex-sugar mama. <laughs> your ex-sugar mama. Yeah. Not the ex-girlfriend in Houston. I think That's we correct. transitioned. We, can, we may have skipped past that part. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you met Jessica in Vegas. Um, we, when did you guys get married? I don't remember. I know it's eight years ago. Okay. So she was... We just had her anniversary. 
So she was like, she was definitely your sugar mama yet. She was not, she was not your, your, uh, yeah. bread woman winning wife yet. So. She was my sugar mama for okay, sure. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and you were, so, and you were, were you, were you only flipping, um, old home parks or old homes? Or are you also looking no, at uh, house single family? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was mostly single family. It just happened that the first one that I, uh, bought was a mobile home. Awesome. Yeah. And, you started to, I mean, at some point, I know, because like now I know you just sold a hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in Vegas. Yeah. Um, I know you own some like really nice homes as well still. I think you're, you're, you were possibly selling them at some point. I can't remember. Yeah. But when did you stop doing the $50,000 deals? You started to move into the larger assets or even, you know, I, I, cause I know, and you started to build too, right? You were developing, yeah. you were building. Tell me a little bit about that and sure. like, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about like your journey because at some point you started doing pretty complex shit, um, <laughs> like building. I uh, unfortunately am becoming a developer right now, not to my own uh, uh, wishes, um, because I got a hotel that got hit by a hurricane um, and has to be built from the ground up. <laughs> no but, big deal. Um, uh, that's no. I'm, I'm finding out that's no easy journey. And you no. bought a hotel and you mm-hmm. did a bunch of houses. So yeah, I mean, and somewhere there you started to really level up. Yeah, so I think the level up really started to happen after a few years of investing. I I kept getting I kept being able to recycle all my money back into more and more deals, but my strike price in Las Vegas was buying homes in around that 100 to 125 range and selling for the 150 to 200 range. Yeah. Um those are that was that was my bread and butter and I I just stayed so you're bringing to like what 10 I, grand a pop. Yeah, about like 10 to 15 grand I was putting in for rehabs, just kind of mostly cosmetic stuff. Some more, some less. Um, actually, not some less. Some were much easier to rehab. But some of the deals that I would get into were were pretty rough. And I towards the end of my career of flipping in Las Vegas, I found myself bidding or seeking out the way more damaged properties, hoarders, fire damage, uh, flood damage, like anything in there that most people don't want to touch because there was a lot more reward in there. I was getting it for such a smaller strike price. Sure. So anyways, that's that's irrelevant. And once I did that, once I moved to Los Angeles, I flipped one home out here, right? And I realized that back in Las Vegas, I was doing multiple projects at a time. I was kind of a bigger fish. People started to get to know me. But when I came to Los Angeles, I was just I was just a small fish in a massive ocean, right? And it was so tough because everyone was such cash heavy and be able to scale with multiple crews and this and that. And so the area that I chose was this area called Eagle Rock Highland Park. And so I saw this on the path of uh, progression, right? Just the way if you can look at the map and I just saw that, hey, this is the next area that's going to blow up. Downtown just blew up here in Los Angeles and people aren't moving East, people are not moving south for sure. They're going to move north where the prices are so cheap. You can get good houses with good views and a decently safe neighborhood. That's where I leveled up. I went and decided to put all my money into this area and buy really, really cheap land because there was a lot of land available. And then I started to develop on that land, even though I didn't know what I was doing, but I like everything in my life, I sought out mentors and I read as much wow. as I could and took courses. So you bought land, I which bought is land. like the scariest non-cash flowing thing yeah. to me in the world. Right. But all the land that I was in particular buying was all next to other residential properties that were just not developed. So I knew sure. you know, the, the risk has been mitigated there. 
right? Yeah. And then it was just about finding the right team and, and building these things out. And that you just wanted that, to be the go-to guy in Eagle Rock. And I just I just knew that this area was going to blow up, and it did. Yeah. It, it absolutely took off, and that's really my developments and the projects that I was doing is really what leveled me up to being where I'm at now. And then I I really transferred all of that residential portfolio that I developed into now of my apartment complexes and then now into my mobile home parks that I'm strictly doing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, you, um, you know, now you have a, you have, you have this firm. Um, yeah. When did you, uh, when did you stop developing? Are you still developing or you're done? My last development that I did just came online. I want to say right about six months ago. And I kept that one. Yeah. I just refied out of that one, locked in a really low 10-year arm or interest only that transfers into a 30-year after that. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. And But you you started your firm like only two years ago? About two years ago, yeah. Within the last two years. And your guys's, so your thesis, like what is the problem, you know, what is the problem that you guys feel like you're solving? Because you have a very uh, specific thesis and specific yeah. asset type and area and like, you know, you, you, you found an opportunity that I think, uh, you know, you're not, you don't really have a much, much competition. No. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like if, if you're following the story, I'm always going to go where there's less competition. I did that in poker. I did that in my developments, right? There's less competition in, in developments in, in the flipping with finding more damaged properties. And then same with this, like I bought a few apartment complexes myself and I realized that there's more yields because I want my money to be working at a certain percentage. I need my money to be working at least 20% per year. That's with equity built and cash flows. And I wasn't getting that or finding that in the apartment complex game for me. At what, where does that number come from? What do you mean? The the IRRs? Yeah. Just out of curiosity. Like what, where, where, uh, how did you develop that? You said, I need my money to be making. Oh, this. you know, because I just on how I would be able to make, how much money I'd be able to make in the developments, right? Like if it had to make sense for me to make a certain amount with equity yeah. building, you know, and whatnot. So that's why I, I knew commercial real estate really was uh, my natural transition. And so mobile home parks for me, like, listen, if you consider mobile home parks like a niche, like I'm, I'm within the niche of a niche. And so I'm in secondary tertiary markets where mom and pop sellers, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. So I'm, I'm able to build a ton of equity and I'm able to do what I'm underneath institutional money. I'm above most mom and pop buyers, right? My strike price for my properties are usually around three to $7 million. Yeah. And I'm a yield chaser, right? And then my risk is mitigated by there is a low uh, income housing crisis here in America. And the demand for these things are through the roof. And so once I got enough education on mobile home parks, I realized this was my natural progression. And this is why I wanted to jump into it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys, you guys have bought a ton since that, you know, since you kicked off the firm. Yeah. I think, uh, wh- what's your, uh, what are you guys up to now? Uh, so we actually just launched a fund uh, about a month ago, a $15 million fund. Okay. Yeah. So which would buy about thirty-five, forty-five million dollars worth of mobile home parks. Yeah. If you ask like, you know, eight months ago, yeah, about forty-five million. Now it's <laughs> it's it's about twenty-five, thirty million. Okay. Yeah, it's about like yeah. thirty-five million just because of the LTV levels. Um, right, right. That we're finding. 
but we'll we'll go ahead and probably buy you know five six hundred pads, really. And wow. really, you know, my my thesis for this is in commercial real estate, so beautiful. What I really realized coming from residential, what's so beautiful about commercial real estate, and I know you know this, Cody, is that you can get your money in, you can build up a bunch of equity because you're in control. Unlike residential, you have to you're succumb to what your neighbors are doing and selling for. Yeah, but in commercial real estate, you can build the equity if you know what you're doing. Get your money back within three to five years, maybe even less. Some projects have been a, a year. And then that money's tax-free for you to go buy another asset. And so for me, it's a snowball effect. And then you keep that asset. It's still producing cash flows. You're still going to increase the rent and the NOI, net operating income every year. And so that later down the line, maybe about five to seven year mark, even once you got your money back, you could go ahead and refi again and get your, pull more money back out tax-free. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, one of the wonderful things that I hate, I, I do not, I'm not a great public markets investor because mm-hmm. I am too much of a control freak. Um, so I hate the ability, you know, I hate that, like, I can't call, you know, if I invest in Tesla, I can't call Elon Musk and be like, hey, you know, right. I think you really need to start looking at like cutting expenses because, I feel like there's a coming recession and we have to maximize free cash flow because we need to, you know, shore up our balance sheet, right? Um, or I think you should do this or change this about the business. I can't do any of that. Yeah. Uh, the wonderful thing about uh, commercial real estate and especially, you know, owning it and, uh, you know, running it, um, you know, even for my investors, which are largely quite passive, is that they have direct access to me I have direct access to the deal and I'm forcing those changes, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have the ability to be the change maker to come in and force the cash flows, force the, you know, NOI improvements, um, and really create that value for myself. I'm not waiting for a rising tide or markets, um, to do whatever. And I'm not really dependent on markets. Um, so I totally understand that. Yeah. I want to be in control of of essentially my destiny, right? I'm a control freak also. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, you know, I thought uh, you, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting. You said you said you liked um, you like going in places where there's not much competition. And you said in poker, uh, mm. what about what were you doing in poker to look for less competition? Yeah. So I think a lot of people were chasing the bigger games with the more notable good players because the bigger games attracted the better players. Yeah. Right. I always. Uh, fought to get myself into games where there were no pros. Like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people have an ego. Like I have zero ego. Like I, I don't. When it comes to poker, I don't care. When it comes to real estate, I don't care. Like I, I don't care wanna, who thinks I'm good. Yeah, I don't. I don't give a shit. Like my brother was good. He's notable. People recognize him. He's one of the best players in the world. I never cared. I wanted to be in the shadows. I just wanted to make money. I wanted to go where the cash games are better. And so uh, I found myself in better private cash games or where there's the casinos are, are less popular. And I'd go to those games knowing that they're softer opponents so I can make more money, right? Yeah. And so that's game selection. You could go find the games that are the biggest to test yourself and with the best players. And I just never cared about that, right? Inflate so, your ego or you can go make money. That's exactly right, so, right? Yeah. So how... um. Uh, you know, and I, I know that I, you've had some, we've had some interesting conversations before and, uh, uh, you brought, um, 
you know, to our, uh, to our outlaws event, uh, which is like a, a private mastermind that, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a private trip that we bring, I don't know, 15, 20, uh, me and Pasha bring, and, and a couple other buddies bring like 15, 20, like just awesome entrepreneurs together. And we go do awesome stuff a couple times a year. Um, and the last one in Palm Springs, you brought, uh, live, uh, to speak with us. And mm-hmm. she had some really interesting things to say about how to think about probabilities. And then I started digging into that and asking you, and I didn't realize how much, um, like how useful of a frame of reference that is in, especially in like investing where you're investing into a, you know, a, a you're investing into probabilities, right? There's nothing yeah. certain. Um, and you have to make decisions with imperfect data. Um, and so, and I, I, th- I thought you had some really interesting thoughts on that. Um, uh, as to live, uh, and so I'd love to like kind of understand like how how has poker changed how you invest um, or shaped how you invest? Yeah, I think that could be a whole episode. Uh, I'm not kidding you because there's so much to unpack there. Really, because who like everything that I do, my investment thesis is kind of based off of my poker rep background. The first one is you got to make the right decision over and over and over again regardless of short-term results, right? Yeah. But that's a little like, so we could break that down even further. In poker, you have to make information or in bets on incomplete information. Whereas in real estate, you have complete information. Like, you know, 99.9% of the information when you're buying a deal. So you can make much better decisions. But to expand on that, it's about making the long-term decision always. Okay, like, like every property that I buy, I think a lot of investors do this. You're going to always want to say, is this going to be a good property 15 years down the line? Given, Let's give our recession like that we're going through right now or whatever Biden has labeled it as. Um, right? Like if a deal still makes sense 10 years from now, sure, then I'm going to go ahead and still buy it. Because yeah. I, I'm a long-term investor. Um, secondly, second thing that I always do is I break things down mathematically in, in my head. Right. Like if let's say there's a bet or whatnot, a probability, like in some crypto coins, you can go out there, you try to get all the complete information that you can, and you try to say, okay, like if I bet on this, the asymmetric bet is probably with all the information I have, is gonna be a good bet 75% of the time. And if that's the case for you, then 75% is a winning bet in the long term and you want to take it. Right. Yeah. So just to follow the numbers, and there's there's a whole lot more there. Uh, game selection, how to read people, negotiations in real estate and brokers. And then always, like one thing that as well, that I that gets mentioned a lot, uh, I'm not trying to be like promoting myself here, but it's like in my first fund, I'm giving more alpha away to the investors first. But I tell them, and I'll tell them, I have no problem saying this in full transparency, I know I'm giving up more than I should be in the first one, comparatively speaking. But I do know I'm going to be here for 15 years. And so I have no problem getting and building up an, like uh, a family of investors who understand who I work. And and so yeah. like that kind of stuff to me is I, I always delegate to the future and make decisions for the future working backwards always. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I appreciate I appreciate the overview. I think we should absolutely do a uh, do an episode like a full episode on that. Maybe we yeah. could even bring in somebody that you know. Yeah, that'd um, be fun, actually. 
Yeah, uh, on like just like probabilities and strategy, etc. Yeah. So maybe digging into a little bit about like where are you know where are you trying to go with your firm, and then I thought you know maybe we could wrap up with like some of the personal stuff because you're doing sure. a lot of really cool stuff in the biohacking space, um, in relationship space, etc. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I guess what what's kind of your goal, right? What are you what are you working towards? I mean, you already you've built up you know a substantial amount of net worth. You could probably place it all on. Uh, I don't want to say place it all on black and let it ride because it's probably a bad. It's it's a the odds are not your favorite. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's both inaccurate uh, for a for a gambler, but also yeah. a, um, you know, but also uh, you know, I think inaccurate for what your you know for what your goals yeah, are. But no, you right. could you could certainly invest it passively, um, you know, earn a great income. But you're you're working towards something much much bigger. So what is that? Yeah, you know, I think you bring up an interesting point. I think you and I both, if we wanted to, we could pack it up and live a great life for the rest of our lives. But kind of what you said earlier in the in the first podcast is that like I, I'd be bored out of my mind, right? The goal for this for this firm is to get to 15,000 pads, right? To really grow. And it's really, um, A, when I first brought investor money into the deal, I was nervous. Like I've been a lone wolf my whole life. And when I brought investor money in, I got a little nervous with my friends and family on my first deal. But come to find out later on now, they're thanking me. They love it. They love that their money's actually making money for them. Yeah. So to, to grow this firm and do it the right way continuously, just you know, build up the reputation because your reputation is your word. I still believe in the handshake means the world. And that's kind of how you had to operate in the poker world as well. So it's kind of ingrained in me, just doing the right thing. I'm doing it also um, candidly to prove it to myself, also to help others. You know, I never thought as a kid growing up, being a college dropout, I'd get to 100 units, right? I never thought <laughs> in a world I'd get to 1,250 units, right? Yeah. But the fact that we've built out the systems and the fact that we built out the pipelines and we built out the team already, it's really fun for me. Like this is really, really enjoyable and really enjoyable by doing it the right way, the way I would want to do it, right? Yeah. And so I only bring in any investment that we create, it's the way I would want to be invested into a deal. Um, and so that's really the, the goal for me. And then there's some other entrepreneurial things that I, I have in the back of my mind I want to create. But this is the this is the foundation. Awesome, man. Uh, I'm excited to see you on your journey to your next, uh, your next $50 million. And, Thanks, man. Uh, I think you're going to crush it. Thanks, man. I think so. And your health. Uh, so you've got a pretty cool setup. Uh, one that I'm about to copy. By the way, I've got to I've got to like commit <laughs> to it on this show because uh, Pasha knows I hate spending. I, I'm not like a good at spending money. Um, <laughs> so I've just got to pull the trigger on both the sauna and the cold plunge. But you're doing a bunch of biohacking stuff, uh, yeah. and you and Dan really started to get me into it on, on a lot bigger, you know, way. You guys shared your coach, etc. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in the first episode, we talked a little bit about the importance of health and like why that matters, both on a like financial compounding thing, but also on an enjoyment of everything you've built type of, yeah. you know, type of, uh, of wealth. But so what are you doing in your health? Because um, you're doing a lot. I'm doing a lot. Um, so first thing and foremost, I, I hired like a functional health medicine 
guru. His name's Ryan Kennedy. Shout out to him. He's changed out my changed my life out. Yeah. And Pasha recommended to me too. And now I think like uh, I don't know. So many people. Fifty of our friends that use fifty of our friends that are now biohacking with Ryan. Yeah, because he's insane. Like he just he awesome. takes he takes all the information from all the top biohackers and then spits it out into a digestible form for you to do, which is different from you know everybody else. So it's incredible. It is so hard. When I first like started looking at like NAD, for example, there was yeah. like it was like an overwhelming amount of information, you know, and yeah. and how do I do it? What brands? How how you know like how? Yeah, it was it was. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, he digests it for you and gives it back to you in a way that's going to be good for your lifestyle yeah. and what you're trying to achieve. So, anyways, so ton of kudos for him. First and foremost, it's absolutely I want to be a healthy father. Like I want my father was old. When he uh, when in my teenagers and I couldn't play ball with him, he always had back issues, knee issues, and so everything I do now I'm doing for my children. So you know I eat, I don't really adhere to any diet, but I I try to stay away from carbs. I'm pretty good at not eating carbs, and uh like essentially just whole foods, right? Like grass fed meats and whole grains. And my wife cooks amazing vegan meals, and I love eating vegan, and I've been vegan for many years previously. Um, so that is like the most important things. Plus, my, I work out when my back isn't healing from my stem cell procedure about five days a week, four to five days a week at bare minimum. Um, and then I ice plunge every single morning uh, without fail. May, there are some, some, some times on the weekends where I'm like, eh, you know what, I'm going to give myself a break. But like if I'd equate it on average 5.5 times a week, I'll do that. Um, plus, I take a ton of supplements. Uh, I, I journal my sleeping habits or I go to sleep at the perfect time, like the perfect time for me, sleep about the eight, eight and a half hours, aura ring. I'm obsessed with the aura ring. I just really, truly believe if you don't have health, you have nothing, right? And I really learned yeah. that in my latter stages of my life so far. It's just that I don't want to be the guy who's 70 years old and can't walk around and be with his grandkids and travel the world. I just don't want that. Yeah. Naval has like a really, and he may have jacked it from somebody else. I don't know. Uh, uh, but um, I, 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 I always love his cond condensation of, of, of quotes, but he says, you know, that a, a healthy man or sorry. Yeah. A healthy man wants a hundred things, but an unhealthy man only wants one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, you know, and I've had moments in my life where I had a hernia um, and, um, it got infected. So I had to go back to the doctors and, and one of my best friends saved my life. He kind of came over my house randomly. And I, I believe in the like a divine or someone's looking out for me for sure. I don't know what Edward believes in, but I believe in a higher power. I don't know. I don't want to label it, but I believe in a higher power. And he just showed up. He's a doctor. He just looked at me. And he just said, what are you doing? Go to the hospital right now. I'm like, no, I feel fine. I have an appetite. I just feel a little sick. He goes, you need to go to the hospital right now. And it's important. And when I went to the hospital, they're like, you're almost sepsis. And I was about an oh hour God. away. Yeah. And I was like, holy, I, I got to take care of myself better. That was a few years ago. That was about three years ago. Ever since then, I've just been doing this health process. And what I do is because I'm able to like expand my time horizons really long out, I'll, I'll work on one habit for about three to six months. Like, right. And so then I make that part of my life, knowing that, you know, that gets compounded over time uh, so well. So yeah. I take one hat. I don't try to change everything all at once. I just pick one thing that I know provides the max value, make that a habit, make that a pattern of mine that I'm reinforcing every single day because I think we're all set of patterns um, 
that's just built on top of each other. And then uh, I just go from there. So recently it's been carbs. I've been doing that for about four or five months. And I recently recently stopped uh, drinking any alcohol. It's been about two weeks now. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm going to come like go that to the end of the year, see how I feel and maybe make that more of a habit as well too. Awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah. I like the, I like the slow compounding. I yeah. sometimes try to bite off more than I can chew and like changing your entire, it takes like a it lot doesn't of work. power. Well, it does work, but for the most part, it doesn't. Absolutely. What's kind of the biggest gift that you feel like everything that you're doing has brought you, you know, your wealth across your health and, uh, you know, money and relationships, everything that you're doing, what's kind of the biggest gift that, uh, that this has given you, um, as you continue to kind of level up. Yeah. You're, you're asking really great questions, by the way. Yeah. I just, I just I'm stealing you, all your I questions mean, you're there really for me. Good. At this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I appreciate you just yeah. scripting out, um, all of the questions that you were going to ask me and then I stole them. You basically um, stole them. Yeah. In the prior episode. Yeah. It's so weird talking about myself. I'm not going to lie. Like it's so weird, <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah. I think the biggest uh, thing that wealth has brought to me is I'm going to, I'm going to say two things. One is, one is the freedom to do what I want when I want right? The second one is confidence. And I want to, I want to make sure you understand when I say confidence It's not because of money, but it's because I've been able to achieve something that I didn't think I was going to be able to do when I was a younger kid. Yeah. And so now I look back and I say, oh, if I could do this, what else can I do? And so now my next goal is a hundred million. And so I don't think I'd get here, but I also now I have the ultimate confidence. It's like, oh, I just have to change who I am to get to the 100 million. It's just a new problem. It's a new puzzle. It's a new game. It's yeah. a new like way to gamify my life. And so that's what I'm working towards now. So it's it's the confidence, not because of the monetary value. And if if that was the case, I would probably spend a lot less in my life too. But I just enjoy my life experiences so much that um, I'm not really focused on that. I just know I'll get there. So it's the confidence that brings me knowing that I can bet on myself and with time I'll get there. Awesome, man. Yeah. I love it. Um, anything that you like or like, man, I wish we would have covered this. I can't believe Cody didn't ask me this or, or anything that you think that we didn't touch on. No. Uh, I just told you like two seconds ago, I hate talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. It's, I, I, I think that, you know, honestly, especially with the podcast, right? The, the chance for everyone to kind of get to know a little bit about you and your yeah. story and where you come from and why you think the things you do and, and mm -hmm. say the things you do and invest the way you do. I think that that's incredibly important. And I, uh, I, I think it was incredibly interesting. Uh, we definitely got to do our own, the own, like a specific episode on poker and investing and probabilities and all that stuff, because yeah. that's, that's like such a fascinating space of study. I think what we'll do is we'll get like one or two poker players that I know are very good investors as well. Oh, awesome. To come on to the show and we can just say, well, like an uber successful and say like, what is, what trained you? What made you this way? Because poker players, the way their brains work is very fascinating, right? It's just how we break things down in problematic mathematical equations all the time. We're always betting with each other. Always, always betting on what you think the answer is. Cause like, you know, if you're like a social circle and someone says something a little ludicrous, sometimes people are like, come on, 
or or like is that true and he's like yeah and you just kind of you just drop the conversation there with yeah. poker players it's like all right well i don't think you're right you want to bet on it like <laughs> so you're always challenging each other like ah oh, you know what yeah i'm confident or i'm not confident and yeah. you just uh it's just you just sharpens your mind a lot yeah no absolutely yeah. i i love it i like Sometimes when I'm looking at, uh, I've started to use it a little bit, um, you know, stuff that Liv was talking about um, and that I chatted about with you after. When I'm looking at something I have to, that's not a direct like asset investment. It's like maybe hiring somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And then I kind of like try to run through like, what do I think the probabilities are of this person succeeding? And then I times that by the, you know, the cost of this person. And then what's that, you know, total return and adding that like probability math into a decision with something that's not so finite, uh, you know, that's not so assets are like really easy to invest into because you kind of have a predictable income that's coming after. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. this was awesome. I really loved uh, this conversation. Pasha, thank you so much for uh, uh, digging <laughs> in with welcome. me. And uh, yeah, man. Uh, it was a great time. episode until your it episode. It was a great episode. I love the questions, man. I'm really excited about my questions yeah. that I came you up with. You did really good. Spontaneously. You did really good, yeah. Spontaneously. You did great. Your <laughs> mind no is help amazing. You. None. Zero <laughs> help. Yeah. All right, buddy. Until All next right. one. Thank you for joining us today. We think it's an absolute no-brainer that hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app will help you on your journey to your next 10 million. 